doing? You're probably feeling a lot better now that you had that long time to just visit and chat. I always feel great when I get to meet people. Uh, my name is Steve Atkins. I'm the lead pastor here. I do enjoy meeting people. And um, if you have been going to Hillcrest for a while, or even if this is your first time here, and we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you. So after the service, you want to catch me in the foyer, I, just introduce yourself. I'd love to hear a little bit of your story and where you're from. And, and uh, yeah, so anyhow, I'd love to do that. Thank you for, to our online church family for uh, that long extended greeting time that you waited through. Uh, we're glad that you are still with us and that you joined us here this morning. Can we give a big round of applause for those who've joined us online? Just those guys, give them a great, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to wear my England shirt today. But the last second I thought, maybe I should wear the shirt of a real winning team. And I was going to wear my mega, mega sports camp shirt. But mine is in the laundry, and for good reason. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't grab that. I just want to say a few things about Mega Sports Camp. I was so impressed with our team this year. Uh, last year, I didn't uh, play a volunteer role at Mega Sports Camp, and I was sort of witnessing it. I was here working in the office, but I'd see all the excitement and everything going on, and I just felt like I'm missing out. So I joined up this year, and did, I was a skills coach for soccer, and I'm really glad I did. Uh, I was asking my daughter. She turned six this year, so it's the first year she could go to Mega Sports Camp, and, of course, she's heard about it for her older brother's been going for years, and so she had been hearing about it, so she was so excited, and she was in the cheerleading. And so I said to her, I said, are you enjoying Mega Sports Camp? Oh, yes. And she big smile, and I said, I said, what do you like about it? Like, tell me something that you really like about Mega Sports Camp. And she goes, today, a girl stood on my leg. <laughs> so I think we should use that in our promotional materials. <laughs> but anyhow, it's funny, the things that are exciting for a six-year-old girl. Um, but I was thinking about the good things I saw in the Mega Sports Camp team. And uh, it made me think of 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. So I just want to read this as, uh, I'm, proud of that. I'm proud of the team that pulled off Mega Sports Camp. I really am proud of them. Can you just, if you were part of that volunteer, you played any volunteer role at all with Mega Sports Camp, you just wave. Can we just get you to wave a little bit here? These are some of the, there's lots and lots. Give them applause. It's great. So 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, it, it just, to me, I'm reading it and it sounds to me like the Mega Sports Camp team. Uh, it says, therefore, be alert and sober-minded so you may pray. Every day the team met and began and, end, and also ended the day in prayer together for the kids. Um... Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I didn't see a multitude of sins at Megasports Camp, but I did see a lot of deep love for kids from a wide variety of backgrounds. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I saw that. Great attitudes, very little grumbling, and great hospitality, especially uh, when we were interacting with kids and their parents uh, I felt like our team did a great job representing our church and Jesus and, uh, and, and offering hospitality. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So there's many roles and many gifted, smiling volunteers, and so much grace was extended through 
their acts of service. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Now, there's great teaching from Pastor Laura. Um, just amazing, actually, that how well uh, the kids listen to her. She does an amazing job. 125 kids, and she's able to keep them listening and engaged. And amazing. Our, our boot campers shared, and it was so cool to have them up, and they did an awesome job. Uh, so those are teenagers who did an extra sort of spiritual training and preparation before they led at Megasports Camp. And they were, they were great leaders through the week. Our huddle group, group leaders, they led kids, got to know them personally. They shared the gospel with them. And, of course, we had several come to Christ. And then here's the last, or here, a couple last lines here in this. If anyone serves, they should do, do so with the strength God provides. Now, I, I was a soccer coach, and my step counter said I averaged 9.5 kilometers a day during mega sports camp, or over 1,300, or 13,000 steps per day. My daily goal is 5,000, and I almost never make it. (laughs) It was so shocking to my app that it actually, I've never seen my app do this before. It it showed me a a chart. It was almost like it was alarmed at what had happened. (laughs) It was showing me, like, this is your step count, and this was the last five days. What's going on? Are you okay? Like, it was just, it was amazing. My, I've never seen that happen on my app before where it's just almost like an alert happened. You know, it's like, uh, anyhow, it was cool. Here's the, here's the, here's the reason for, for why we do it all. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And Laura says it already, but I'll say it again. Jesus was exalted. He was lifted up. He was magnified. And the invitation to come and follow him was clear. And I think here's the last thing I'd share, which is Matthew 19, 14. Jesus' words, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Can we have a big hand for our team that just worked so tirelessly this week? Yeah. Well... I'm going to change gears a little bit here. Have you ever had a friend who you haven't seen for a while, and when you see them again, they can't stop talking about some brand new thing that they're into? Maybe it's a TV series that they're binging. Maybe it's a diet that they're sold on. Maybe it's a workout trend. Maybe it's a new product they found in the store. Or a vehicle they just bought. Oh, okay. A podcast they're listening to, or an investment opportunity they discovered, or some kind of multi-level marketing. (laughs) In the mid-90s, I went to an Amway convention in Regina with 2,000 enthusiastic participants. It was something else. I didn't sign up. Now, I haven't heard much about Amway lately, but I think I know what the new Amway is. Pickleball. (laughs) If you haven't heard of it, it's a dangerous extreme sport, and it's getting a lot of young people hooked. Now, be honest and confess, how many of you have tried pickleball? Mm, I'm concerned. (laughs) Folks, if we don't get this one under control, 
Our streets will be crawling with roving gangs of pickleballers. Moose Jaw will never be the same. Sort of like that Joni Mitchell song. Don't it always seem to go that if you don't know what you've got till it's gone, they pave paradise and put up a pickleball court. <laughs> there's lots of people. When you're into something, you know, you almost like there's degrees of being into something, isn't there? Like you can say, well, that person's like a fan of something. You know, I'm a big fan of the TV show I'm watching. Now, what are you doing? You're watching it. Maybe you never miss an episode. So that's sort of the fan level. You might go a little further, though. You might be sort of like um, a little more extreme than that. And you'd be like, no, I, I, I'm going on the Internet and learning everything I can about this TV show or this thing I'm into. Or who wrote it? I want to know about their lives. I want to know about their experiences. I want to know everything. Ever gone down the wormhole of the Internet sometime learning a, like every, trying to find every detail on the Internet about something? I have. It goes from fan to fanatic, from that's rad to I'm a radical. Now, I want to talk about a very serious type of follower today, and it's, and it's talked about a lot in the Bible. And the term that's used is the term disciple. Disciple. It's a pretty serious term about not just being casually into something, but really fully following. And we're going to talk about this over the next number of weeks. We want to talk about what the Bible says about what it means to be a disciple and what God uses to disciple us and how we can help each other to live as disciples of Jesus. But let's, let's just start with the word. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. You might be a disciple of a, teach, uh, of a certain teaching or a certain leader. You're into what and you're learning about it. You may be even practicing some of the practices that are recommended. You may be imitating the leader. Today I want to talk to you about what Jesus desires for you to become, for you and me to become. He desires for us to become his disciples. So what is a disciple of Jesus, and how is it different than just an ordinary disciple? In the time of Jesus, a disciple obeyed their master's teaching, followed wherever they went, and modeled their lives after the master. Now, that's really being into something. And that was, so when we use the word disciple, and when the Bible uses the word disciple, we're thinking about rabbis or teachers who would call people to themselves, and they'd have a, 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 a group of teachings that their uh, followers would learn or memorize or and put and commit to heart, and then they would change their ways, and they tried to become like the rabbi. And so Jesus was called a rabbi by his followers and, called, and, and by people who met him, and so those things would have been part of the package. Um, but being a disciple of Jesus has some added elements uh, more than just being the average rabbi in the, that day, because being a disciple of Jesus um, also involved having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's whoever enters into following Jesus or being his disciple is entering into a whole life of transformation to become like Jesus in their character and their actions and to carry out Jesus' mission in the world. 
Now, it didn't start with what the disciple does. Being a follower of Jesus begins not with what we do, but with what Jesus has done. So we, the story of the Bible is that um, God created humanity in his image, and he had wanted a relationship with us, but humanity at the very earliest chapters of the Bible, the story is told how we rejected going God's way and decided to go our own way. And what entered into the world was sin. In other words, we, we rejected, we, we refused to trust God. We refused to trust his way. We refused to follow him. And we went on our own way. So lots of history in the Bible, but gets to the point where God sends Jesus to come and call people back to him. And he's calling them in a very specific way to be his disciples. So it begins with what God did. Of course, we know, if you know the story of the Bible, if you know the story about the life of Jesus, he lives the life we should have lived, the perfect life of obedience to God. Then he dies the death that our sins deserve on our behalf. He dies the death we should have died. And then he is raised from the dead. And all of that, so that he can be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, so that we who cannot make our way back to God on our own have the way opened up for us by his sacrificial death. So becoming a disciple of Jesus, the way is open for that to be a possibility because of what Christ has done for us. So, the first thing I want to say about being a disciple of Jesus is it's not optional. Sometimes people might make this distinction again of saying, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then there are those green beret followers of Jesus, you know, those disciples. Well, I'm a Christian, but then there are those people who are really serious about it. And that's not what disciple is when it comes to following Jesus. A Christian is a disciple, and a disciple is a Christian. Or a believer is a disciple, and a disciple is a believer. They're tied together. So being a Christian and being a disciple should be the same thing. Now, sometimes the way we use Christian in our culture, and this is probably the same for uh, other religious cultures in other parts of the world, is we may um, say it in name. Maybe you're ticking off a form on some, you know, some government form. I'm, I do, I've, through the years, I've done a number of weddings, and there's a form you fill out for that. And there's a line on the form, uh, religious background. And I've always found it interesting to ask people that. Well, the government's asking you, what's your religious background? What do you say it is? And some people get super specific down to a very, you know, sharp detail. And other people be like, well, uh, mm, I, mm, I don't know, I guess, Christian? Can we put Christian? <laughs> That's a funny question, because you're like, well, can we put Christian? <laughs> Are you a disciple of Jesus? I mean, it's not taking a government form. It's not just having some mental assent. It's not just saying, my parents and my grandparents were Christians. Or I'm a Canadian, so I must be a Christian, I guess. Jesus called us to something more significant than that. Well, the good news about following Jesus at the, at the get-go is that if you follow Jesus, he will forgive you. 
I mean, he, forgot, he offers forgiveness to the whole world, to any who will repent and believe. He offers it. Now, it doesn't mean everyone's taking him up on the offer. Many have not responded with the seriousness that our situation requires. If we are sinful creation and have rejected our creator, well, we're in a really dire predicament. We're separated from God. And if that separation from God is where we're at when we die, that's an eternal separation from God. So it's a very serious situation. And so it's incredible news to know that we can be forgiven of our sin. We can have our slate wiped clean, and we can have a brand new start with God, and he wants us to be part of his family. He wants to make us his very own. He wants us to give us eternal life with him. So it's great news. So if you follow Jesus, he will forgive you. And that's great. But it's, there's more to it than that. Sometimes we end the story with that. Because being a disciple of Jesus, you've entered into a personal saving relationship with him. That's great. And being forgiven and going to heaven when you, when you die is an incredible thing, but sometimes we put, don't put enough emphasis on the transformation that God wants to bring in our lives here and now. So here's the second part of the good news. If you follow Jesus, he'll forgive you. Great. The penalty of sin is dealt with. But if you follow Jesus, he will form you. And that's dealing with the power of sin in our lives. See, a lot of us, we find ourselves practically helpless when it comes to changing our habits, especially the negative ones. Like, why can't I? Why can't I? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Why, can't, why, do, these, why do I, I'm in this endless cycle of struggling in, these different, in this difficult way? Well, Jesus didn't just die so that you could get into heaven. He also died to transform you, to change you. Romans 8.29 tells us about that. For God... Uh, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God's destiny for you is for you to become like Jesus in your character, in your actions, in what you do, in who you are. That's good news. That's really good news. Galatians 4.19 says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I always thought that was such a funny verse that a man is saying, I am in, again in the pains of childbirth. How can he know? Like, what the <laughs> It doesn't seem like a funny verse. I don't know. Ladies, you must think it's a funny verse because, anyhow, another translation, he says, I'm in agony. So what is he? Paul's saying, I recognize my role and my responsibility is to help others become fully devoted followers of Jesus, disciples. And that's hard work. I'm in agony to see this come to pass. I'm working hard. But this is the goal that's so worth it that I'm giving my whole life for. I like Dallas Willard. He has a great a definition of being a disciple. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Imagine that. Who would Jesus be if he was living your life? 
I mean, what would you be doing if Jesus were living your life? Isn't that what being a disciple is? We set aside our agenda. We set aside our control. We set aside, I'm the boss and this is my life. And we surrender to God. And now he sets the agenda. And now he's in charge. And we submit to him. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So what does it mean to to love what he loved, to value what he valued, and to do what he did? Now I want you to take a minute. So we're talking about the good news that if you follow Jesus, he'll form you, he'll shape you to become like himself in his character and his actions. So let's pause and just ask ourselves about the opposite. Who or what is currently who or what is currently forming you? I want you to think about it. Who or what is currently forming you? The thing about people is we're changeable. In fact, you are changing. We can't always spot it in ourselves, but you are changing. This week you changed. Maybe, maybe not so dramatically that other people would notice, but you changed this week. We're influenceable. This week you were influenced. What were the influences? And how did they influence you? Sometimes we can't measure it, but you are changing. You are being influenced. So what is currently forming you? Or who is currently forming you? Who am I becoming more like? (laughs) And if we don't like the direction, the change, the influence, or the outcome, or we see that that leads, is there a course correction that's needed? I love this. Uh, I was just thinking about this this week, and it just sort of came alive to me. I don't know, maybe something I think I should have known all along, but it just was fresh for me. Discipleship flows from who God is to what he desires to produce in us. So think about who God is, and you start to get the clues on what he wants to produce in you and in me. Like the Bible tells us God is a father. Hmm. And it also tells us that he desires, he's a father, right? God is a father. Okay, what does that mean for us? He desires that his children, us, that's what he calls us, if we're his followers, if we're his that we imitate him and become like him. That makes sense. I'm a dad. I get that, right? My first two boys we raised, who are, our kids are in three different gaps. Well, yeah, whatever. I won't go through the story. But the first two kids we were raising, and then we got later ones, I was all about, well, these are my boys, so I want them to imitate me. That means they're going into sports. No complaining. We're doing soccer, we're doing basketball, we would have done football, but 
Marnie vetoed that because of concussion protocols. Anyhow, I still wear the pants, don't worry. Um, but these boys are going to be sports boys, and they were. They were great soccer players, and then they discovered basketball, and they were good basketball players. And I was like, this is going according to plan. And my first son just kept on trucking with it. And today, you know, he loves playing basketball, he loves playing soccer, and it's just all the things his dad introduced in the sports world he loves. And I felt like, that's how it's done. I'm going to teach a whole seminar on this. But my second son, when he hit grade nine, I said, well, you're going to go play, uh, you're going to play soccer for the uh, Peacock high school team? And he said, Dad, do I have to do this? Are you forcing me? My kids always use that line with me. Yes, I am. I am forcing you. <laughs> he says, well, okay, I'll play this one season, but next year can I have the permission to do what I want when it comes to sports? And I thought, I already have proven my ability to do this. I have an older son who once I got him on the Peacock soccer team, he played all the way to the end. So once Judah tastes the joy, the thrill of playing soccer at that level, he'll want to play the rest of high school. So of course I agreed. Sure, you can make all the choices you want after you play this one season, because I knew he'd be hooked. Well, the year ended, he played soccer and did well for himself, and I was, he came to me the next year and I said, oh yeah, we've got to make sure we get you signed up for the Peacock soccer team. And he said, you said I'd have my choice. I said, well, yeah, I guess, you know, and then he was just like, I want to sing and dance. I want to do drama. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but it was just like, what? This is not... <laughs> he... Uh... God is a father that desires that his children imitate and become like him. And unlike earthly fathers, his intentions are for our, our good, not for maybe his own glory. <laughs> well, obviously God is getting glory in that too, but it's not. I'm telling you a twisted story about me. God's story is pure. He's a father that desires his children to imitate and become like him. Imagine all the purity and goodness that is in God and that he wants that for you. Not, not, not the corruption of sin, not the addictive power of sin, not the, why did I do that again? Why can't I change? He wants to transform our lives. He wants to form us. It's good news. Here's another one. God is knowable. We know that God is knowable through the Bible. In fact, God goes all out to make himself knowable. Through giving us his word, through the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. So God is knowable. What does that mean for us? He desires that every believer will seek and know him and love him through things like worship and prayer and the word. That's what he desires. Give me another one. God exists in perfect community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what does that mean for us? Well, he desires, because he's created us in his image, he desires for us to live in community. A harmonious community of love that he instituted, the church, the body of Christ. 
Here's another thing. Jesus, what do we know about Jesus? He was sent by God to be a humble servant. So God desires for us to serve and give selflessly, just like he did. One more. Jesus obeyed his Father and was sent to make disciples of all the nations. So God desires for us to go and make disciples of all nations, both locally and across the globe through proclaiming the gospel. I mean, you could say it's just like father, like son, or like father, like daughter. He wants to form us to be like Christ. So discipleship flows from who God is to what he desires to produce in us. And I was just reading this list and just thinking, it's great to find out what God desires, isn't it? It's great to know what he wants. And am I willing to give it to him? I mean, it's not even the right way to say it. Am I willing to let him form me and fashion me and transform me to be his disciple, one fashion in his image so that I look a lot like him? You know what? I, we have several. We're taking care of these babies in our home um, long story. And we have nurses come and help us now and again because they have extra medical needs. And we had a nurse in our home, and she's come several times. And she's a believer in Christ, goes to another church in town. You know what she told me the other day? I thought this was incredible. She said, I don't know a better, she said, except for Jesus Christ, I don't know a better man in the world than my husband. I was, wow, I was like, what an incredible thing. But the fact she used Jesus Christ as the comparable made me, because they're believers, made me think, she's seeing in him the character of Christ. The things that Jesus is are showing up in this man. And she just can't stop but praising that reality in him. And I was just like, wow. I wasn't even sure if I'd even heard someone say that before, but I was just like, wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. That's what we want. We want the comparable not to be, well, how am I doing compared to that guy or that lady? We want it to be like, Christ. How can I be more like Christ? Mark 8, 34 to 38, it says, Then he called the crowd to him. This is Jesus calling the crowd. And that means this is a call for everyone. This is an invitation, not just for a few, not just the 12 disciples, but for all people. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's interesting when in the account that Luke gives, there's four gospels, the story of Jesus, and Luke gives the same uh, thing here that Mark does, except for Luke has one more word in there. Take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily is in the text in Luke. So whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So deny yourself. Let's start with that. This is one of the most countercultural things that you could ever do in our culture. Like we worship personal freedom and we sort of hate discipline. You notice that disciple and discipline are pretty much the same word. <laughs> There's a connection there. 
We love self-indulgence, autonomy, self-sufficiency. Dying to self is radical in our day and age. It's absolutely radical. It's totally countercultural. And Jesus taught that death to self can be the truest, most liberating, and most fulfilling choice you could ever make. Verse 35, he says, Forever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. It's an incredible promise. You say, I don't want to give up control. I don't want to give up control. And Jesus say, you know when you begin to give up control, you're going to find your life. You're going to start to fill the empty spots in your life that are there. You're going to find fulfillment. When you give up control, to me, to God. And the, the, the root of why we give up control to God, why we give over agenda, is that disciples belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 20, 19 to 20. Do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Or how about 2 Corinthians 5, 15? And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So dying to self is really just saying, instead of me being on the throne of my own life, I'm the one who calls all the shots. You know, sometimes you can, you can uh, deceive yourself in this area. You can say, yeah, I, I, you know, I look for God's direction when it comes to these kind of decisions, you know, moderately important decisions, and maybe even really important decisions, but the ultimate decision is who is Lord. That's the ultimate decision. So sometimes we can be saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I'm doing what God wants at these levels, but still at this level, I'm not giving up control. I haven't really laid my life down at his feet. I'm still holding back. If Jesus is not Lord, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You've probably heard, some of you might have heard that before. And it's good news. Can you imagine if Jesus came along and saw your life and said, hey, here's some good things in you. I want those things. Here's some really stinky stuff in you, and I'm not interested. No, he, 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 embraced, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to come into every aspect of your life. There's no unsightly or, or, or disgusting or, or awful area of your life that I don't want to transform. I'm coming to give lordship and leadership to every aspect of your life. So die, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And take up their cross and follow me. You know, the take up their cross, it's a funny, it's a term we use now. Oh, I'm just carrying my cross. But nobody literally dies on crosses now. In the day when this was written, when he said take up their cross, they could probably walk 15 miles down the road and see people literally dead on crosses. Because the Romans were crucifying people. So to say take up your cross 
meant like complete and total and utter no matter what comes, that your love and allegiance will be to Christ. Now, this is a great kindness that Jesus does to say it as harsh as this because there were times when Jesus was gathering a huge following because if he was, I mean, the popularity was evident. He was healing people. He was, he was teaching like no one had ever heard a person teach before. He was impacting people, and large crowds were following him. And he turned to the large crowds, and he said, hey, are you willing to carry your cross? Suddenly it was like, oh, I didn't mind being Jesus' fan, but I'm a little bit uncomfortable being his disciple. He was really kind. Luke 14 is really good with this. It just talks about, he talks about considering the cost. Considering the cost if you want to be my disciple. Consider the cost, and really, consider the cost and consider the benefits. Weigh them. The benefits far away the cost, but still consider the cost. If, if Jesus was to say, hey, come follow me and all your troubles will go away, and then later they say Jesus crucified on a cross and they realize that the religious authorities want to round them up too and stuff like that, they'd be like, wait, why didn't Jesus tell us about this? Jesus was kind by telling them the hard stuff, yeah, in, in the advance. I love how this, this little passage ends. It says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus has invited them to consider the cost by saying, take up your cross, deny yourself. But then he's he's asking them to consider. Let's say you don't become my disciple. Let's say you continue to be the Lord of your own life. Let's say... Sin continues to be a power that rules and reigns in you unchecked because it truly is your master. Sure, there's hardship in following Christ, but what's the exchange? I mean, look at the length of your life. The Bible reminds us of this again and again, that man's life is like a breath or it's like grass that just, fa- that just dries up and blows away. It's just that it's over. It's over. If you're super young, that's hard to imagine. As you get older and older, you go, oh, wow, it actually speeds along this thing. So look at the length of your life and then to consider it compared to the length of eternity. Con- consider the cost of living for Christ now and consider the benefit of eternity with him forever. So surrender is, is what's called for. Surrender is, is, a, is the posture of your heart towards God. It's saying, Lord, all to you, I surrender. All to you, I freely give. You're Lord. You're the king. I set aside the agenda for my life, and I, I welcome you to write the, write the story of my life. I'm going to give you my Yes. And you can fill in the details as we go. I think about Billy Graham crusades. Of course, Billy Graham has passed away and stuff like that. But it was that. Remember the song they always end with? Just as I am. Without one plea. It's just like, 
That's the way we surrender to God. Don't, um, we don't fix ourselves up first. We don't get ourselves all right with God because or, or we, we can't. We come as, as we are, and then God does an incredible work in that. I think of the story of Matthew. Of course, Matthew is the guy who wrote the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, he's got a little story. He's got a little story about himself, which I'm having trouble finding right now. Hang on. I'll tell you about it. So Matthew's, he's um, sitting at his tax collector booth. And already you know a lot about him just by that. He's a tax collector. The Romans have conquered his nation. They've been under the boot of the Roman Empire for generations now. And the Romans have conscripted or invited Jewish men to collect the taxes for Rome. So I want you to just put this in our context. Imagine that we as a nation, Canada, have been under the boot of another country's military for several generations, and we dream of being liberated, and then a number of moose jaw boys get the job of collecting our money to pay for their military. And on top of the fact that they're willing to do that, they take that opportunity, many of them take that opportunity to enrich themselves at our expense. I want to tell you, you might hate an oppressing army, but you would hate more born in Moose Jaw, raised here, betrayers of our people. That's what tax collectors were to the Jewish people. They were the enemy. I mean, you might hate a Roman soldier, but you probably hate. It's because you expect more out of the people who are your own kin. So Matthew was a tax collector. I'm going to tell you, if I was a rabbi in that day, and if I was trying to gather a, a following to me, I'd be looking for better quality recruits. I wouldn't pick people who automatically, once I picked them, people would question whether I was any good as a rabbi or whether my moral teachings had any value because here's Matthew, a moral mess. And this gets, and that's what happens. Jesus comes to the tax booth and he just simply says to Matthew, follow me. He doesn't tell us much more in the story. He just says, and Matthew got up and followed him. And it says, later on, Jesus and his disciples go to the home of Matthew. And Matthew invites his friends over who are also tax collectors. And there's also a whole bunch of people that are considered sinners. Obviously, people with bad reputation. And the religious leaders of the day, they come uh, to observe or something like that. And they say, why to the disciples? Why is your master? He's supposed to be so good. He's supposed to be so virtuous. He's supposed to be such a great rabbi. Why is he eating with the betrayers of our people and all these people with terrible reputation, these, these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, I didn't, come, I didn't come as a doctor to the people who are already well. 
I came for the sick. I didn't call, come to call the righteous. Of course, it's a funny thing to say that because none are righteous. He says, I, called the sin, I came to call sinners to repentance. It's, a great, it's great news. It's incredible news. The invitation to follow Jesus is available to each of us every single day. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter who we are, what our reputation is. Jesus invites us into a master-disciple relationship. And the doorway to all of this is surrender, to take up your cross, to lay your life at his feet again. And Christ can only, Christ, Christ will do in you what you allow. I mean, if you're saying no to him, you're not going to experience that transformation. But when you say yes, it opens the door of your heart. It opens the door of his life to do what he wants to do in you. It's an incredible thing to have a master like Jesus who would call you or call me. I mean, really, who are we compared to him? Nobody's. But he's calling you. And he's calling me. Would you stand? I don't know where you're at. I'll tell you where I'm at. I was, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a great message here in the church. Barrett Croft was speaking. It was good. Hi, Barrett. Excellent message. He said something. Two things. He was just talking about not giving God mediocre, but giving God our best. That's a really short paraphrase of an excellent sermon. <laughs> and then he said at one point, he said, I need this sermon for myself. And I was like, that's where we're all at. We need God's transformative work in our lives. I mean, don't you know an area you want him to change? Maybe you know many. We need to, for him to form us. Now, the neat thing is he gives us context for that formation to happen, the church. As we, we, we really disciple each other as we, as we talk about God's word together. Like we talk about scripture, we have those kind of conversations about what we're learning or, or even what we're struggling through. We disciple through our strengths. We also disciple through our weaknesses. When we get a little more transparent about where we're at with people, it helps other people. When we say, I'm, I'm struggling or this is difficult, I'll tell you, our, our, our staff meeting in, in our, um, our church, we have a staff meeting that's Tuesdays and it's like about nine people are there. I think we've all cried at that staff meeting at some point in the last year. And if anyone hasn't yet, I'm just really looking forward to the day they do. Because <laughs> it's so amazing. It's just sort of like we get to that point where we're just like, I just need Jesus. I just need his work in my life. I just need his help. And I don't, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. And, I'm, and, you know, we're all at that place at some point. And then God uses the body. God uses other believers to speak the word of truth, of God's word, into our lives, right? They say, well, I just want to encourage you with this. And it's like, oh, man, I needed that. God's put us into a, a context for us to disciple each other. I find sometimes I'm speaking to someone who they haven't been as Christian as long as I have, and they say things that challenge me. They don't know the Bible as well. They haven't walked with Jesus as long as I have. 
But because we're talking about what of Jesus, about Jesus, and we're talking about what is what He has for us and what He wants for us, suddenly I'm being challenged by someone much younger than me or much newer to the faith than me. I love that. I'm being discipled, and I'm discipling. Mega Sports Camp this week. People were in groups. They got some of them got difficult groups of kids who wouldn't be quiet or straight up said, "I'm not interested in this God stuff." I'm just here for the sports. And they, went, they were in to the battle of discipling. And while they were discipling kids, God was discipling them. Some of you volunteers, you know that. God discipled you this week as you were working with your group. God's given us each other to walk this out together. But I, I think it just back to that question, what's forming you? Does there need to be a course correction? I'm just going to ask you straight up. Did you need to be reminded today? You need to be reminded today that God's called you to be his disciple. To lay it all down. To let him set the agenda. And to be the ultimate decision maker. And that you could truly say, I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. He's Lord of my life. And he calls the shots. And when I get away from that, I just come back and surrender again because he's called me to be his disciple. And he desires to make me like him. And I want that. I desperately want that. How many say that's you today? You just say, I need a refreshment on this. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the graciousness that uh, the graciousness you lead us with. That even when you discipline us, you discipline us as a father who loves his kids disciplines. So we can take reproof from you. We can take a rebuke from you because we know how deeply you love us. Well, we know in part how deeply you love us. There's so much more to discover about how much you love us. And to let that love change us. Change us so that we love you back so much more. And that we love others around us so much more. And even are able to love ourselves. So Lord, we ask in these next weeks as we go on this journey together. in just talking about what it is to be a disciple. And what you're calling us to do. And how you want to shape us and and form us to be like, like Jesus. Father, we ask that you'd guide and you'd direct and that we wouldn't resist, but we'd partner with you in the process. We'd say yes when you call. We'd say yes when you nudge, when you speak, when you direct, and even when you rebuke and correct us. We'd say yes. Give us a heart of surrender, a heart of submission, a heart that's soft and responsive like you desire. Make us and form us into the followers that you desire for us to be. We ask that in your name. And everyone said, amen.